Transplanter RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter. That is at D-M-I-T-R-Y-O-P-I-N-E-S. And Explain Trade, a negotiation skills training consultancy believing in the power of D&D and Transplaner's potential to grow, tell great stories, and lift up our community. Explain Trade trains negotiators for governments, big companies, NGOs, and offers e-learning courses for individuals looking to get a better deal from their boss. Level up your charisma score and check out explaintrade.com. Hey there, thank you for tuning in to Trans Planar RPG. We are an all transgender, people of color led, 100% homebrew, Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition live streamed actual play campaign set in an original non colonial anti orientalist world. I am your game master, Connie, my pronouns are they, he, and she, and my cast is as follows. C. Thomas plays Oka Hien, an Osamar Bloodhunter. Max Guo plays Dewey Quirk, an Aarakocra Artificer. Erica Fladlin plays V. Nakshirzo, an Elf Sorcerer. Hamna Shahid plays Jaron Kader, a Dragonborn Rogue. Dare Hickman plays Gentle, a Triton Monk. Quinn B. Rodriguez plays Sidlali, a Changeling Cleric. And Austin Knight plays Abiku Ishtar, a Reborn Goliath Ranger. So, with that out of the way, here are the content warnings for this episode. Content warnings for this episode include grief, funerals, death of loved ones, blood and bloodletting, references to sexual entanglements, flirting, romance, and complex and complicated relationships. Arc 5, Episode 11 Nightmaring Ex Lovers From Refusing Eurydice by Ladon Osman. It's Raven 24. The Queen's glory, as your calendar tells you, four days after mid-month. You brush your teeth and feed the chickens. The sky is a gray plate of winter clouds and the dandruff smatterings of morning snow and the crisp air stings your lungs. Squeak is repairing the roof of the barn after last night's firestorm, and Manaya's parents are taking the horses out for a ride. The vegetables in your front garden shudder in the low wind. The training dummies Mercy stitched together are covered in a fine dusting of white frost. You go back into your cottage and embark on a long, arduous day of meetings. The Alliance is needy, frenetic, frantic, the doomsday babble before apocalypse. Thank the Eight, frankly, for Emperor Zhen's calm refrains, but the Kagan isn't helping. She constantly drills you for details about Cardu's personal life. Is he married? Does he have children? How long has he been divorced? What do you mean he's on the run? And Toktoa prods your mask for signs of weakness vulnerability, potential for her corruption, but you cede no ground. The princess confirms she sent a missive to Manaya, a plaintive plea for the paragon of Mahu to attend to her destiny at last in the Southern Sea. Kane agrees to send Uhanahi aid, materials for shipbuilding, warm bodies, to help fend off the encroaching storm, all while doing their eyeliner with the scrying bowl as a mirror. None of this is concerning, except Karishma Bataval's absence. 
which their aide nervously explains as a result of troubles caused by the chrysalis in Dabathati, something about a conference. Troubles in the three-faced capital, sneers the Duchess rather icily, representative of the court here. And I imagine she thinks we're twiddling our thumbs in our own nations while Andake burns. Yet all of us still find the time to make all these meetings, which frankly could have been letters. And it is left to you again, as always, to play peacemaker, to broker logic and sincerity between Andake's most powerful people. And by the time the bowl goes black, squeak, is grousing about dinner. It's your turn to cook that week, and you assure Squeak that dinner is coming. You just need to recuse yourself to the bathroom first. There, you find silence. Blissful, graceful, exquisite silence with nothing but your own thoughts to keep you company. You stare at yourself in the mirror Noting your own blue eyes, your golden hair, your sun-kissed skin. You feel tired, you think, but you don't look tired. You never look tired. Your skin is always flawless and your hair is never imperfect. You stare at yourself in the mirror. It's not a boast, it's just how it is. How it's always been, like you weren't born to make mistakes like everyone else, but to correct them. You stare at yourself in the mirror. You don't remember getting glasses. You've always had them. You stare at yourself in the mirror. You cook dinner. Uh, it's a stew, Kyrian in origin, all beef and lamb and slow-cooked onions that you use magic to expedite. You're whisking the berry compote to accompany the Nabalian sugar tart dessert when, through the fogged-up window of the kitchen to your left, you see the teleportation circle light up like a child's face on Adolin. And before you can even put down your saucepan, light swirls around you and you are transported to Karishma Batavall's secret garden. Oka, Jaron, Sitlali, Gentle, and Mercy, the five of you see whisking into existence upon this dais, Dr. Eluso. And now we cut to later that evening. The initial shock of the conference and its events, let's say, uh, has subsided into a dull, aching throb. Dr. Aluso has been updated, knows everything that's been going on with you all. And at this point, a fire burns low at the glistening edge of this shallow pond, the canvas flaps of tents stretched taut across wooden poles. And in one such tent, we find Dr. Aluso, uh, apron folded off to the side, tending to your arm, Jaron. As Dr. Eluso hovers over your wound, they're in the middle of saying, Ah, uh, there. That should stop the bleeding completely. Uh, shouldn't be any more complications. Should stabilize your arm uh, for a prosthetic or a reattachment, if you want. Whatever you desire. Thank you, Dr. Eluso. Of course. Uh, does it I, hurt? Uh, 
a little, but um, I'm sure that'll go away with time. It will. Um, uh, the half a dozen medicines I gave you should also help with the pain. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And I think um, Gentle might also have some things as well that they that they have made. Right, yes. Uh, gentle. Mm. Uh, speaking of your fellow hounds, how have they been dealing with, you know, uh, the news? Well, not the news. Um, your actions. Um, I don't know if I'm the right person to ask that question, Dr. Aluso. I... Why not? You're the one who did it. That's true. Uh, well, Mercy wants to understandably stab me, I'm sure, many, many times over. Oka probably wants the same and just won't say it. And Sitlali hasn't... I think she's been through a lot, as it is. Hasn't really had time to process this specifically. And gentle, well, gentle is gentle. What does that mean? It means that they are still here for some reason. Still around, even though nobody else really wants to be. Do you feel like you deserve their friendship? <laughs> no. I don't think I ever have. Well, that's not a very healthy way to look at yourself. And Gerard looks at Dr. Lusso kind of confused. You know what happened, right? Yes, I do. I was able to talk to Mercy while we were setting up the camp and ask Oka a couple of things while starting the fire together. I've been able to piece together things between the lines. Um, I've been reading books about uh, social interactions and how some things are left unsaid. And I figure there's a lot of that going on here right now. And, um, well, I'm good at observing, putting the pieces together, so to speak. Ravi is dead because of you. I think hearing that said so bluntly and so explicitly kind of takes Drawn back for a moment. Because I don't think, I think this might be the first time actually that anybody has really said that out loud in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't careful enough. And because of that, I killed Ravi. Dr. Lusso pauses, right? I think maybe in like like changing out the wrap uh, on on your wound. Pauses, right, as they're tightening it and like they look up through their glasses at you. And you've interacted with Dr. Lusso a few times. I mean, he stayed at their cottage for like over a week. Uh, you, you've had one-on-one -on -one interactions with them before when you were raiding their, their libraries. They've always been very friendly, you know, very polite, a, a little off-putting sometimes with how blunt they can be. But I don't know if you've ever been in like close proximity with them in a serious conversation for this long. They look at you and their face is like completely unreadable. Uh, it's like the cover of a book in a language you don't understand. Um, and they are sort of just peering at you through their glasses and they go, so from your perspective, Jaron, Ravi is dead because you weren't careful enough, because of your impulsivity. Is that what you think? I mean, that's what happened, isn't it? I made a rash decision in the moment that I shouldn't have because I didn't know what else to do. And if I had just, if I had just taken a step back, if I had just 
been more careful, she would still be alive. So you believe it is your methodology and not your objective that is erroneous? I don't think that I'm wrong for wanting to try to find an alternative for the Paragons. I want to find an alternative for the Paragons, Jaron. I have been trying for months now. Ever since I put the pieces together about the prophecy, even while I had been withholding information from Strike Team B <laughs> about the full uh, ramifications of their paragonhood, even then I was trying to find alternatives I have been attempting. But the reason I've been so reticent with sharing my research with other people is because I'm not sure... Jaron, I'm not sure if we're on the same page about what it takes to defy destiny. What does it take, then? Accepting the fact that it might still happen anyway. Then why does it feel like no one is even entertaining another possibility? Sure, accepting this, their deaths as one outcome, that's one thing, but I just... It doesn't feel like anybody else sees another way out or even wants to. <clears throat> Dr. Luso clears their throat and breaks eye contact with you to continue wrapping your wound, but they speak. Oka and I were able to check in a little, again, while tending to the fire. Um, they mentioned the argument conversation they'd had with you before I, I zapped in here. Uh, do you think they want to die? No. Do you think they've resigned to their fate? I do. I don't think they have. I think they're being pragmatic about their chances. But Oka doesn't want to die. And I don't want Oka to die. I don't want any of the Paragons to die. And I, Jaron, personally, I am all for alternative solutions here, but the reason why Oka isn't throwing themselves wing first into, uh investigating the stranger's agents, let's say, in hopes of uh, other way forward, is because they can't afford to nurture false hope or delusion. They can't. They have to be realistic about the possibility that despite all of our research, despite all of our attempts to dissuade the river of fate from churning onward, it might still churn onward. They've accepted that them dying is a possibility. You need to do that, too. And if I can't? Then you will continue to make the same mistakes that killed Ravi. Jaron, I think, breaks eye contact with Dr. Aluso and just stares at his arm, the one that uh, they've been working on. And it just kind of, like, serves, I think, in that moment as, like, a reminder, like a solidified reminder of what happened of everything that he did and he looks back up at Dr. Lusso I never want to make that mistake ever again I never want to see that look on Oka's face ever again then don't I think that's more easily said than done I can't help but feel partially responsible for what happened here today I should have tried to dissuade you from this path more strongly 
while you were staying at my home. I don't have any solid leads about alternate solutions, Jaron, but I know for a fact that parlaying with the chrysalis, trying to seek answers from the, the, the stranger itself is not the way. Those entities, those organizations only want one thing, and that is the destruction of Andake and our entire cultures, our peoples, our histories. I think perhaps the way to go is looking at Andake, looking at the past. There's so much we don't know about the first stranger war, so much about the past paragons that we have no clue about. I mean, they fought it. They fought the stranger. How did they defeat it? What weaknesses does it have? What does it want from our perspective, from the first paragons who survived? I think perhaps that is a more fruitful vein of inquiry to pursue, and I should have mentioned that to you earlier, should have dissuaded you stronger. I think Jerome, like, chuckles a little bit. <laughs> starting to sound, like, gentle. But... <laughs> You're not wrong about that. I think the first Paragons, you're right, they survived. And I guess I was just so caught up in the fact that they survived that I didn't think to question how. Just that they did. And that maybe, maybe it could happen again. That the Paragons could survive again. It's worth looking into. I know from Dewey, mentioned I think in passing in a report to me by Oka or... Mm, I forget exactly how I know this. All information blends together for me after a certain point. But the Myriad mentioned something about a tapestry uh, in Morose. A uh, tapestry that is a fully woven account of the First Stranger War. You're Morose, you know? You know how to interpret your own cloths? Yes. After Dabathati, going up north to look for that tapestry might not be a fruitless endeavor. That actually... You said you had no leads, but Dr. Elusa, you've been holding out on us. Oh, well. Well, intelligence is retaining information. Uh, wisdom is knowing what information is important to retain. Sometimes I stumble between the two. But this event has put some things into perspective for me. Um, hmm, there you go. Uh, he puts on the final, like, finishing touches uh, on, on your wound. They start to straighten up. As they do, they go, oh, one last thing before I, you know, let you have some privacy. Jaron, again, reading between the lines, Oka, sit loudly gentle, mercy what they were saying about you. There were a couple of mentions of you being particularly distracted, behaving oddly, and Dr. Lucid just sort of like trails off and like waits for you to respond. I guess you're not the only one that maybe has some difficulty between knowing, between retaining information and knowing what to retain. Um, I may have struck a deal with Adam in the in an attempt to save Oka, and I don't think, I don't think I really knew what I was getting myself into. Ah, the deal was then to ensure old Mama Lightning dies? That was the original offer. The final deal was just to think about it. And, well, now I can't not think about it. I see. Well, 
It seems that any deals our team strikes with the other team always end up biting us. V's deal with Adam, and now your deal with Adam. You know what they say, fool us once, shame on them, fool us twice, shame on us. Let's just hope that we're able to track down Adam before our time here in Dabathati is up. And to, uh, what was it that Oka said? Uh, deliver his head on a silver platter? Yes, I think I think that is how they phrased it. Quite frankly, I'd like to have a word with Adam about the deal. Didn't exactly go the way that I had thought it would. Putting myself in Adam's shoes, I think he would disagree with you. I mean, you did just agree to think about it, right? Didn't give any parameters about what that might look like? I suppose, but that doesn't change the fact that well, the fact that all of this happened, I can still be mad at the guy. You can. And you should. He manipulated you. Jaron just nods, I think, in acknowledgement of that, but not really being able to say it verbally. All right. Um, good talk. Uh, I've left some herbs and medicines uh, in your pouch. I'm going to go, I'm going to go check on Oka. Uh, if you need anything, if your wound starts hurting again, just just let me know. Thank you again, Dr. Aluso. Uh, not just for this, but for everything, I guess. Of course, of course. Um, just remember, hope only makes sense when you accept the possibility that it might not work out. Uh, on that, Jaron, Dr. Aluso nods uh, and they exit out a tent flap. Uh, and on their way out of your tent, Jaron, actually, I think they, they bump into you, Sitlali, if it's okay with you, uh, perhaps on your way in or knocking on the tent or whatnot. Uh, uh, oh, Sitlali, uh, I'm all finished up with Jaron. They're all yours. How are they doing? They're reckoning, I think. Uh, Health-wise, they're fine, aside from the missing arm, uh, but I've stabilized it. Psychologically, I think, um, I think they're in quite a dark place, but I hope... They'll be able to get out of it soon. We had a good talk, I think. Good. Good. Uh, how, before you, how are you? Uh, I heard about the whole kidnapping uh, situation. That Lally just kind of like stills. I'm not doing well. I'm sorry But I will that. be. Good. Good. Do you feel like you have a good support system here? Something of that kind. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, if you need more, I do have a magical uh, chapbook. The pages are blank, uh, except for the user it's attuned to, uh, and it flips open and generates um, affirming messages uh, tailored to the person reading them if you would like it. That actually sounds quite... Yeah. Yes? Okay. Uh, well, yes. here, and Dr. Lucio reaches into like their lab coat and pulls out, just out of like the depths of it, they pull out this little chapbook tiny, maybe big enough to fit in the palm of your hand. Uh, and it's like plain gray. There's like no cover art, like nothing. It's a little like soft bound book and they hand it to you. I think Sitlali just kind of turns it over in their hands. Thank you for this. You're welcome. Uh, one of Squeak's many fine magical goods. Uh, they gave this one to me for free. Uh, said something about, I, I think I think you might need it, uh, but I, I think it's, I, I'm not sure, maybe I, I did the attunement ritual wrong, but nothing happens when I try to use it, but, but perhaps it can serve you well. I would like to insight check that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 29. 
29. In terms of reading Dr. Aluso, they're telling you the truth. They seem just like kind of mildly puzzled about why this chapbook doesn't respond to them. You don't, you get the sense that they haven't looked too into it uh, or they don't see, they personally don't seem concerned about it. Well, maybe when I am done with it, you can try again. Maybe, uh, but I'd be curious to see what sorts of messages it, it comes up with. Me too. <laughs> I think they do chuckle at that. I think it's the first time they kind of crack a smile, like a, a little one, but. Aww, I love that. Yeah, Dr. Lisa, you know, smiles back at you, like nods and like steps out of your way and allows you to go into Jaron's tent if he so choose, sit lolly. Yeah, I think they hesitate at the flap, grasp it very intentionally, and a ripple of pink goes over the tent as they enter and cast silence. And I think Sitlali just kind of stands at the opening for a second and take like this is the first time I think Sitlali has like turned her attention onto Jaron since before getting kidnapped. Since the fight. Right. Oh my god, I almost forgot about that. Because <laughs> of everything else that's happened. I guess that's also still unresolved. A bitch never forgets. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, a ripple of magic tightens over the threads of the tent, uh, and as soon as you step in, it's sort of like entering like a muffled dome, uh, as the flap like ripples shut behind you. Duran, I think, uh, notices the light first, and looks up, recognizing it as Sitlali's magic, I'm sure, and as she walks in, they just kind of, they look tired. They look just tired. And they look up at Sitlali. Sitlali, if you're here to yell at me, Oka already did that. Sitlali walks over. They're leaning more heavily on their cane than she normally does, and just kind of sits, and is quiet for a minute. And then, without really looking at you, Jaron, just kind of, you know, I'm a little tapped today, but maybe tomorrow, if you want me to see if I can get that arm back for you, I might be able to swing it. Jaron takes a look at his arm, kind of like turns it over a little bit, examining the wrappings that Dr. Luso put on it, and then looks back up at Sitlali. No. Thank you. But no. I don't think it would be wise to forget the consequences of what happened like that. I think Sitlali considers this and kind of like fidgets with their own cane. It's your body. All right. How are you? If I'm allowed to ask. You're not. Not yet. So you talk to him. Adam? They nod. He found me uh, in the basement of the chrysalis. I was looking for information for, I don't know, some sort of plans, anything. And he found me. What did he promise you? You. Gentle. Oka, all of the hounds, the paragons, alive, safe, after the stranger war. In exchange for? And Jaron just looks at Sitlali, I think. I think you know the answer to that, don't you, Sitlali? I would like to hear you say it. Fine. In exchange for old Mama Lightning's life, one paragon to save the other seven. And you believed him. I didn't know what to believe, Sitlal. You have to understand. It's 
I'm not accusing you. I'm just trying to understand. Yes. I believed him. I don't understand how how this whole prophecy, how this whole fate thing works exactly, but clearly there's a way to change it. And, well, he said that if we couldn't have all eight paragons at the final battle against the stranger, then the prophecy can't come to pass, right? And I don't know, it sounded like it could work. The lolly considers this, then kind of sets their cane off to one side and leans in closer to you. Is Ravi the first person you've killed, Jaron? Jaron flinches, I think, at Sitlali getting closer before she even speaks. And upon hearing the question, he can't look at her. I know you didn't mean to. I know Adam got in your head. I still did, though, and it could have been... Could have been Oka, Sitlali. That's the worst part. I know it was supposed to be Oka on whatever Adam did to me. I know it was supposed to be Oka. But it wasn't. But it could have been. But it wasn't. And it's done. Listen, do you think I want to lose them? Do you think I want to lose Rev? Do you think I want to lose any of them? Do you think that I think it's fair that prophecy says that they should all die? Do you think that I don't care? Do you think that I am not constantly wondering what if we could save them? Because I am constantly wondering what if we could save them. But I also know that maybe we won't. And maybe this is their last eight months on this plane of existence. Or any plane of existence. And maybe, instead of spending those eight months trying to find a way to cheat death, maybe we at least make it nice for them. We make those eight months the best fucking eight months we can make them. And we hope that it isn't the last eight months. Eight months with a monster isn't exactly eight months well spent. Sitlali. Who are you casting as the monster in this situation? Take a guess. You're not a monster, Jaron. Everybody fucks up. Do you remember what I did at the court? That was different. You had that thing inside of you. How was it different different from Adam? Wasn't it just telling me what I wanted to hear? So how did you get out? It's some pretty cool friends who didn't leave me after I made a total ass of myself. I wouldn't say a total ass. Jaron, I committed so many sacrileges that day. That's not the point. This isn't about me. This is about you. I killed their mentor, Sitlali. The person that took care of them all of those years. I don't know how I am ever, ever going to make up for that. What you did, you did to yourself. But I hurt other people, said Lolly. You did. Can you make me a promise? I'm a little wary of promises right now, said Lolly. And I'm a little tapped for magic right now, even if I wanted to. What is it? No secrets. As someone who has spent the last seven years keeping secrets, I don't think you want to spend the next eight months 
keeping secrets from the people you love. When I did it, I got them killed. And Jaron is taken aback by that admission. You didn't kill anyone at the court, Sitlali. I mean, you certainly tried to kill Rev, but she's still, well, not alive, but she's still here. I killed my first lover after I left the court. You what? It was an accident, but I killed them. What happened? I burned my family name, pretended I was someone else from somewhere else, and they get this kind of very, very far off look. Pretend I wasn't a cleric, because I didn't want to be at the time, but some things just kind of stick with you. Old habits. And I always took cigarette breaks in the morning to pray. And she startled me. And I fucking killed her on accident. And I think a heavy silence falls inside of the tent as well. Almost as if the spell had started to expand and encroach into the space that we were in. And Jaron looks at Sitlali with this soft expression, this expression of understanding. And I don't think he's ever looked at Sitlali this way before. Like there's something fundamental within their soul that they understand about Sitlali now. And Jaron just, I think, silently reaches out a hand hesitatingly. And Sitlali takes it. And Jaron squeezes it as tightly as he can. And I think he just starts to cry. And I think Sitlali leans in and brushes some of those tears away with her thumb. I think you've done quite enough of that today. And it has the opposite effect. I think I think he just starts crying even harder. Okay, like straight right. up sobbing. <sighs> Great. And they I think they just kind of like I think they just pull Jaron into a hug if if he'll let her. And just like and lets Jaron's head rest against her chest. And just kind of sighs. And he just crumples into it. And it's the smallest he's ever seemed to you. And Sitlali is just there. Jaron, as you cry against Sitlali, and Sitlali holds you in the comforting, magically woven silence of this tent, we now see the fire outside, reflecting off of the calm surface of the pond nearby. And close, we find Gentle. Gentle, as the evening winds down, where do we find you? Probably as far away from everything else as I can be, while just near the water. I might be laying down my hand, just gently like playing with it a little. We pan over from this dancing flame to the side of the pond where you're sort of like tracing your hand over the surface of the water, like feeling the cool substance sort of wick itself over your fingers, threading through your palm and then over it again as you lift it out of the surface. And Gentle, what's on your mind? A lot. Um, I'm worried about everybody here. I'm worried about Ravi's family. I'm worried about Bud. My brain's everywhere, which is simply why I'm trying not to think and why I'm trying to sit somewhere where it's not too loud. And Oka, 
Do you think that's when you maybe walk toward the water? I think so. I think Oka has actually been around the curve of the water, maybe, tending to Ravi's body still, washing her down, using their magic to like close up the wounds. And I think they kind of like just come around to gentle and they just like take a heavy seat next to them. Like all their clothes, I think, are wet. Their hair is undone. There are these like deep, deep shadows under their eyes. Um, and I think they've been working for like a ha- like a- an hour or two without stopping on cleaning the body, I think. And they just kind of plop down into the grass next to Gentle. They just stare at the ripples that their hand are making in the water. I think when I see uh, Oka move closer, I sit up and like sidle next to you and I offer a small little piece of candy. Um, it's not much, but it might help you feel a bit more relaxed. You know I have a horrible sweet tooth, Gentle. And Oka takes the candy, unwraps it, pops it in their mouth. And I think they, like, is a few seconds of silence before there's a loud crack as they just bite into it way too fast. It's meant more to last longer. I mean more. (sighs) You're too good to us, Gentle. No, I'm just just your guys' friend. And I think Oka actually, if Gentle allows it, just like leans into maybe where their shoulders have kind of been touching, and I think just lays their head down on Gentle's shoulder. Their hair is kind of like wet. I missed you a lot. I missed you a lot too. Um, it wasn't easy seeing everyone being so torn up without you. It wasn't easy coming back and seeing it. But what about you? Talk about everyone else being torn up. You miss me at all? And they kind of just lean against you a little harder. I mean, of course. I I mean, obviously. I. It's really hard to think about what I, how I felt during all of that. Why? How you feel is important. I think Gentle just kind of looks down for a second. Grappling with words they're not certain of. And I think Oka, like, leans their head off of Gentle's shoulder at the lack of response and kind of, like, fixes them with a look. You know that, right? Did you not know that? I mean, I understand I should, but everyone's problems always seem so much more present and bigger and important. So I kind of worry about mine later. You know, I, I lived a long time as a ghost. At least that's how I thought of myself. And when you live like that, you are secondary, even in your own mind. You're not a ghost, gentle. Bad word to describe how I feel a lot, though. I mean, I spent so long not even, like, showing my face to anyone, and it was easy. It was really easy. And I helped people. It was nice, at least to help people. Sometimes I think the only reason I'm still doing this is because I want to see you smile. I want to see you help people, gentle, but... Please. Sometimes ghost is the only thing you can call yourself, but... I see you. And everyone else here does too, even though we're all at each other's throats constantly. You're my family. I think at that, gentle... Their eyes begin to well up a little bit. And they won't say anything about it, but they'll just 
nod. You're my family, too. Do you want to see something? Gentle nods. And Oka kind of shuffles around in their pack and their clothes and their stuff, and from their bag brings out a handful of what look like mouse bones. A long time ago, a mouse got into my pack, uh, and I think it had the time of its life before it died, to be totally honest. I didn't have rations for like a week. It's fine. Um, and Oka kind of sets the bones down on the grass between them, and they tilt their head a little bit, uh, and they get this look of concentration, which I think draws like a little bit of sweat. Um, but I, I'm going to use Ray's dead uh, to animate these here bones. And I think the bones like start to shake a little bit, and then they like kind of click back together. Uh, and the mouse kind of like, it's a little jerky because they're not really good at manipulating bone yet. And the mouse like kind of stands up and it starts to do this awkward little like dance back and forth. And Oka's there just kind of like moving their hand back and forth. Even ghosts can be beautiful, gentle. Look, bones still dance after death. I think if you'll let me, gentle just sort of shrinks uh, into Oka and like kind of cries a little bit and just says, thank you. You're welcome. What I said in the pits is still true. We can do this. Persona save Ndake and make everything better for all of us. I know you will. Oka and Gentle, the fire sputtering near the two of your conversation begins to die down, right? And we like hold on this fire as hours pass. Uh, we see like the wood sort of collapse in on itself. Mercy's strong leather boots sort of walk nearby as she like drops more logs onto the fire. Dr. Lusso also comes by, prods it with a stick, you know, blows some air on, it keeps the fire going. Uh, as darkness grows deeper uh, around the confines of this secret garden. Uh, and I think when like it's pretty much almost bedtime, uh, we pan up from the fire to the flap of Jaron's tent. Uh, as Sitlali steps out. But I think Sitlali, you almost kind of like, as you step out, you almost bump into one gentle, uh, who's perhaps on their way somewhere else. Uh, and there's like this moment where the two of you like almost kind of bump into each other. Hey. Sorry. How, how, how are you um, doing? Uh, um, I think if you had to rate it out of everyone, I think I'm doing the best, which isn't like, good, but better than everyone else, I think. How, how are you? They just kind of look up at Gentle, and there's no mask, and it's just confusion and, like, inner turmoil and distant, but not in, like, a cold way, and just, like, a lot to him. <laughs> Do you want to talk about everything that happened? I I'll, I can provide an ear. I don't even know what happened for some of it, honestly. Fair. I mean, do you want to at least sit down and just have a moment? I have candy. I have balms to help with feeling anxious about everything. It might help a little. Are you not exhausted from taking care of people? I think Gentle looks into the middle distance for a second. Once again, being hit with way more questions about themselves than they're used to. I mean, it's always a little tiring, but I do like 
to move around a lot, at least. Sure, we can sit. Um, Gentle will move at your pace to find a spot to sit down. Yeah, I think Sitlali goes for somewhere with flowers. I think Gentle's, like, stumbling and searching for words. Um, oh, the candy. Um, and they offer you a couple of, uh, pieces of candy to help just feel relaxed. Probably honey in there. They take one, and they kind of, like, roll it over in their hands. And then they bite it in half. What? What? Why does everyone do that? Are they not supposed to... No. I'm sorry. No, no it's, it's, it's fine. The, the noise... It's not great, but it it's okay. It's just the center part. Is, like, it's all good, but, like, the center part is, like, like really good, you know? And, like... No, I understand. Um, well, and, like, Gentle reaches into their uh, pouch and gives you, like, five more. I'm just... You know, I'm not patient with the tea, and it's... No, I, I don't know. It, I don't know how you okay. do it. Uh, well, when everything's really loud or moves really fast... He gives me moments of quiet contemplation to just get my thoughts in order. I don't lie, like a lot of noise. What is it like for your thoughts to not be nightmarish all the time? Or are they nightmarish all the time and you just don't tell anybody? I don't know if nightmare is the best word, but... I always feel like I'm running. Uh, just things always feel really, and I think gentle is like just stumbling over their words a lot because they're not, they haven't had to like articulate this super well before. Uh, whenever things get really stressful or move really fast, it gets hard to think or hear or, or focus a lot. It's why I like to sit in the back or have a mask on or it gives me stuff to sort of like cancel out some of everything um because I'm always thinking a lot and worrying a lot about everyone so it's nice to not (laughs) sometimes and that's why making tea helps um in fact if you want we can make some tea now just to have some quiet moments to just breathe and think and relax sure I don't know if I'll be any good at it, though. <laughs> Everyone's got to start somewhere. And I think Gentle's, like, attitude picks back up when, like, making tea is happening. Um, do you have a flavor you'd prefer? What was that one you showed me? Um, it, it was, like, kind of smoky, but kind of not at the same oh. time. Oh, yeah. Um, I think I made that blend with you in mind. Um. Oh, and- re- Really? Yeah, I make different blends for every hound. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's each one, I think, complements, at least from what I've noticed, ways to help you relax more and like just certain flavors and that, that I think you'd enjoy. I mean, and of course, you can always tell me if there's something about it you don't like so I can change it. And Gentle starts talking faster and faster before they're like, catching themselves no don't don't change anything you're perfect i mean it's it's perfect the the tea's the tea's perfect okay, okay um and i think while gentle's making the tea um oh um also i got that letter from mercy uh mercy 
kind of handed it to me and told me it was from you. And Sitlali just kind of stares into the middle distance, remembering the words, Subtlety, love, subtlety, slip it in their herbalism pack. Uh, Sitlali? Subtlety. They just kind of, like, it comes out, like, through, like, between their teeth against their will. Um. Um, I, it was a very nice note. Um, it was kind of nice to see the mask slip, so to speak. I didn't come back with Bud, though. That's what I wanted to do. That's why I went in the first place. Really? Yeah. I mean, also, I wanted to... Sybil is... Sybil's complicated. But more than I wanted to see Sybil, I wanted to get Bud back. From Sybil. Like I said, allies, flattery, pretty words. I mean, it kind of worked, didn't really work there... It was it's it was a complicated time. You don't need to hear about it. it's. I we did get old Mama Lightning back to them, so I think our chances are pretty good. And I certainly held up my end of the bargain for Sybil. So um, I, I hope. Um, and I had faith in you. I mean, I also talked to the the, the people uh, after everyone left for a second. So maybe some people may quit. I don't know. You talked to the crowd yeah did you um, give them a code name i didn't so mercy and i came up with code names and at, mine was brutal and i don't think brutal would have really worked for the speech i gave so i i kind of just said i mean and like gentle did, like no maybe no one would believe someone's really named gentle and then i kind of disappeared on the wind that Lolly has their head in it, one of their hands, and it's just like, I am going to sit every one of you down for subtlety training at some point. We need to go over espionage. None of, I don't, I keep saying we need code names and we need lists of exes and people who are going to, I don't understand why. It's fine. I'm sure you did, you did great. I Gentle. It, I'm sure it was great. It was kind of like this a little like the speech I, I gave at, at the, the dinner. Um, and at least in terms of the other things, like I, the X list would be really short for me. So it's, it's fine. Does anyone um, catch your fancy? What do you mean? I mean, other than like the obvious. What's the obvious? I mean, you would, I mean, I guess that's presumptuous of me. That's, I mean, I, do you, <sighs> And Sitlali is kind of stumbling for words and, like, steadily turning red and, like, is frustrated because normally they would cover that they are turning red, but they can't do that anymore right now. So she's just kind of, like, hyper aware of that, like, vulnerability of not being able to change on command. Um, and I think that just makes her uh, a little more flustered. Um, are you okay? At Depends on your definition of okay, and which specific part you are referring to. I mean, your face started getting red. It's like, forget I asked. It's fine. Gentle takes a deep sigh, and I think they look off into the distance. They, they can't make eye contact while they like, say these next few things. Um, I mean, liking people's interesting, interesting for me, because like, I, I see the good in a lot of people and I care about people and I mean like 
Root was great because without Root, I would, Bud wouldn't have been able to talk. And I like I connected with Wu Ming and uh, Jaron. Um, uh, I mean, but that's we've known each other our whole lives, and Jaron was my first kiss, and that's the uh, whole thing. Um, and like at that gentle's brain to start spinning. Um, but like I see the beauty in like everyone I know. Yeah, totally. I, I get that. You do? Kind of. I mean, it's not everyone I know, but it's a lot. some of the people that I know. Some more than others. Yeah. Yeah. Is it Lolly? Yes, gentle. Do you like me? And I think they go crimson. Hypothetically, if I did, what would happen? Well, I've always admired so much about you. I've always liked your ability to take care of others and always thought you were really kind and caring in your own way. So I've always thought you were really exceptional. Doesn't really answer the question though, does it? And I think at that gentle's face begins to uh, turn a little red. I like you too, but I mean, uh, never like thought about what would happen because I, I don't think about things in, that I want to happen often. Hypothetically, if I kissed you right now, would that be good for you? Hypothetically. Hypothetically, on the cheek would be very nice right now. And Sitlali turns and slowly just kind of like inches closer and gives Gentle a nice long peck on the cheek and then just kind of rests their head against their shoulder. Sit there for as long as we can, I think. Oka. I think we find you keeping vigil while everyone else at camp take care of their wounds, tend right to their vulnerabilities. You, Oka, I think we find you staying up. Uh, where are you and what are you doing even as the fire burns low and darkness paints the sky black? I think Oka is exactly where they are when Gentle left them. They're sitting on the edge of the pond. I think they like have taken their shoes off and their feet are in the water. And they're just sitting there, quiet. I think Dr. Luso like comes over for a little while. Mercy comes over for a little while. Dr. Luso comes back for a little while. But Oka stays there all night. You are noticing the first gray fingers of a tentative winter dawn begin to creep over the horizon. You surmise perhaps it's not even 5 or 6 a.m. at this point. You feel exhausted, body, mind, and soul, a divine triptych of tiredness hanging heavy on every nerve of your being. And that's when I think a noise from Sitlali's tent rouses you and sit lolly you're having a nightmare darkness emptiness vacuous space a man's sour condescending laugh sharp pain on your mouth magic hemorrhaging off of every pore of your body and then you awaken
thinks that Lolly kind of sits up with a gasp and a yelp. And Mercy's beside them, but Mercy is a notoriously heavy sleeper. And they just kind of lurk around for a second, not sure where they are, wondering if there are eyes on them. Uh, there aren't. And I think she looks down at Mercy and just kind of looks at everything around them. And there's just too much, like, everything that happened is just kind of, like, overlaying its own fucking montage. And it's too much. And they just, like kind of bust out of the tent and head over to like the closest part of the pond to the to where uh she and mercy had pitched tent and oka can probably see this and oka lolly looks like a wild animal like you've never seen this amount of like like raw fear i think like primal and i think she's doing her best to be quiet because at the same time, hyper-aware that there are other people in this space. And then I think she throws herself headfirst into the pond, and once her head is completely under, just fucking screams into the water. I think maybe the next thing that Sitlali feels are, like, two really solid hands on either of their shoulders. Uh, as Oka, I think also like now like knee deep, because I imagine the pond is not very deep, just like lifting them up. So Lolly, hey, 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 it's me. It's me. I think at first they fight you a little bit and then she whips around to look and sees that it is you and those wild eyes kind of like lock with yours and she just kind of sags in your grip, panting. And sputtering a little, because that was unpleasant. Uh, what day is it? Uh, almost Raven 25. 25, 25, 25. Um, it was 21 when I left, and how- Three days. So, Lolly, three days. Three days. But you're here now. Right. You're here for 24. We're at 25 now. Right. Just like you should be. Yeah. Okay. And Oka gets this... They're too tired to hide the concern in their face, I think. And their, like, double-pupiled eyes just kind of, like, flick all over Sitlali's face and don't really know where to land. They have, like, both of their hands on her shoulders and then just kind of reach up and, like, start to tuck some of the, like, wet strands of hair back away from their face. Okay. I came to get you, remember? Right. Yeah. Um... Fuck. I can't change anymore. I know your blood smells rancid. Uh, not, just not like you, is what I mean. You took it. And Oka gets this, like, other expression that I think is, like, the schooling of a god pushing Vanash down so that he doesn't even come out because there's the low royal of rage that just kind of, like, sparks up in their gut. They just push that down. I had already promised his head on a silver platter. But I promise you, Sitlali, make him fucking pay for what he did. Like to help with that? I think you should be able to do the honors. I think I'd like that. Maybe a little too much. And I don't think I care. I think I maybe liked killing the Paragon Killer a little bit too much myself. We're monster hunters, Sitlali. Remember? It's what we do. He's maybe the most dangerous monster we've ever met. 
Yeah, I think he is. But it wasn't all him. I was stupid. I walked into it. We've all been stupid. Yeah, did your stupid get you landed in the nothing plane? No, but it might someday. But I know you'll be there to pull me out. Always. Because you make a damn good second, said Lolly. Fuck's sake. And Oka, I think, kind of finally, like, releases your shoulders and, like, kind of sloshes through the water again and sits back on the shore. Although it kind of is an obvious invitation for Sitlali to join. I think Sitlali is, like, visibly taken aback at that, but then follows and goes to sit. And I think just wordlessly, Oka takes out their shitty little cigarette box. They take one for themselves. There hasn't been tobacco in these for months. It's just calm down herbs. Not as good as just gentles, but they offer one. She takes it. But at the mention of gentle, like, her cheeks go a little pink. Why did you sleep with Jaron? Which time? Uh, at that, I think Oka coughs on the cigarette smoke. <laughs> um, the time? Whatever the two of you were arguing about in the hotel room before it blew up? First time. Right. Look, I shouldn't have done what I did. Oka, I know that. You know that, we all know that. Fuck. Um, I was lonely, and Jaron has always had this fucking something about them. Yeah, I know, it's fucking infuriating. It's so obnoxious, and I cannot figure out what it is. But he was there, and I've always kind of... And I said, who do you want me to be? And... I let them make that choice. I wish you didn't. I wish I didn't too. It's good to be loved, said Lolly. But you deserve to be loved by someone who sees you. You deserve to be loved. Is Mercy that for you? Does she see you? Hope so. I hope so too. I'll fucking stab her in her gut if she doesn't. I was her second for a long time. I've seen her with Wuming, Salem. She was just coming off of the Duchess when I first joined, and, well, I've never seen her look at anyone the way that she looks at you. And at first it annoyed me, it bothered me, but I think it's because I was, I just didn't know. You deserve better than to be one of her exes. She deserves better than to be one of mine. Good. Why do you think I'm always on her about that list? Oh, well, I could help you piece together what I know. Did we miss anyone? Did she forget any other ones? Because she forgot Wu Ming, and I don't know how. I don't know either. Wu Ming was her second. Granted, for like two months when I pissed her off really bad and she demoted me, but it was, again, just to piss me off. I have a list of my own. It's not as long, but... I think most of them are dead, so there is that. But I have a list of every single one-night stand, every single relationship, every single person who could potentially become a problem. I hope one day you don't feel like you have to do that. Do what? Which part? I guess I hope when I'm gone, you don't think of me as a problem. You've never been a problem to me. You've caused a lot of problems for me, but you have never been the problem. 
Sit Lolly, I give you so much shit all the time. Yeah, get in line, join the club. <laughs> I missed you a lot. You know, I tried to tell Mercy any date with a morally reprehensible ex that lasts over 18 hours. Problem. Yeah, the date did not last uh, that long. They got me uh, right outside of Sybil's. Sun hadn't even finished coming up. I don't know if it ever would have, not until the stranger's gone. Do you notice that the gray gets lighter still? Yeah. Kinda like a ghost. The morning dawns upon the camp, slow and easy and cold, and carries with it a light dusting of snow. Snow filters down through the cracks in the stone ceiling of Dabathati. Snow rhymes and frosts across the various bristling rock stalactites, falls down and welcome plumes on the roofs of mercantile shops, uh, the heads of early morning merchants taking their wares out onto the street. And as the light grows lighter, the camp begins to bustle. Uh, I think it's Dr. Luso who sort of steps out from Oka's tent where they were sleeping in to approach you, Oka, and sit Lolly uh, as you're sat next to each other by the edge of the pond, Ravi's body nearby. Uh, Dr. Luso smiles politely at you, sit Lolly, pulls you aside briefly, Oka, for a word, sort of like maybe huddled like by the pond. They mention something to you about, um, good morning, Oka, uh, about Ravi's, um, body and the, um, the burial. Uh, you said something about a, a, a temple on, in the scrublands? The temple of Thismun. Yes. Uh, well, I was quite tired last night, uh, but I haven't used my magic in quite some time, so I have a lot of reserves to draw upon. I think I can teleport us there and back, probably before mid-afternoon. <sighs> I think it's... And then kind of, like, look back. And their words don't really sound like they mean it. I think it's time. Very well. Your decision. Oka nods. I think they head toward the tent where I think Mercy is sleeping. And since they know Sitlali is up and not in there, I think they just, like, open the tent flap and kind of kick Mercy's leg. Mm. Mercy. Mm. Mercy. Mm. Wake up. Oh, shut up. I'm trying to sleep. It's been a long day yesterday. Mercy? What? I need you. Mercy sort of turns around, like, halfway, like, hair unwashed, you know, eyes crusty. She, like, pushes herself, like, still half asleep, like, up onto onto her hand. Oka? <sighs> Fuck. Okay, yeah, give me, like, three minutes. Uh, Anoka pushes out of the tent flap and goes back to the pond. Yes, uh, I think Dr. Aluso is on the dais uh, in the middle of the pond. It's hunched over kind of the sigil that your longsword speared through and cracked. You see that their fingers are sort of ensconced in this like glowing blue light uh, as they like repair the sigil, right? And they're sort of like muttering to themselves, uh, I think in like an arcane form of Talamadi. And they swirl their hand around the sigil and you see the runes on the surface begin to change uh, as they're like interpreting a new destination for it, right? 
uh, and Mercy actually comes out of the tent kind of fast. Like, it hasn't been three minutes, and she already looks like she's, like, halfway put together. Like, her face is clean. Like, she's, like, got her hair up. Or she, like, has, like, a toothbrush in her mouth that she just sort of spits and, like, tosses the toothbrush, like, back into her, I think, into her shirt. Uh, but she's wearing, like, one of her nice shirts. Like, the unripped tunic. How with, nice like, no is it? There's a, t- there's a toothbrush in it, Connie. How nice could it be? It's where all of her toiletries are kept, which is why it's the cleanest shirt she has. Uh, she, like, tucks some floss back into a front, you know, breast pocket. Uh, she's got her nice pants on, you know, the ones that aren't caked with shit and mud and blood, <laughs> like, around the calves. And she's got her nice boots on, too. Uh, the ones that she never wears uh, because there's like little golden buckles on them that I think maybe you made fun of her once for wearing and she never wore them again but she she spent a lot of money on those boots uh, and she's got these boots on and they're like all polished right and her like she's like running a comb through her hair that she and she like quickly like tucks it back into her pocket you're wearing your ugly boots fuck off you're wearing your ugly face okay I think like we pan to Oka's face that looks fucked up. They just—they look fucked up. Ugh. Shut up. Sorry. Gods, you know, I, I i don't like kicking people when they're down. That was that was a low blow for me. O- Oka just kind of, they head over, I think, to where Sit Lolly is still by the pond. Puts a, like, gentle hand on their shoulder and is like, uh, we'll be back by noon. Will you second keep an eye on everyone? I'll do my best. And Oki yeah. gets up onto the dais as well. Uh, yeah, so Lally will be, uh, we'll be right back. Bravi's funeral and stuff. And I figure I should be. And, like, Mercy yeah. just sort of, like, yeah, she, like, tra- yeah, she trails off, gives you a smile and nods, right? Uh, steps forward toward you, like, hugs you tight on, on the side. Uh, and then sloshes over to the dais as well. Dr. Lusso nods. Uh, their hands still glowing blue. They make an arcane gesture. Uh, and each sigil, each newly wrought sigil across the stone, bing, 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 like lights up and like a blue light actually like ascends uh, from the surface of the stone. Uh, and the three of your bodies just sort of like wick out of existence, right? Like the molecules discorporating in a really painless fashion as the weave sort of like vibrates and wobbles around you and you disappear. As the secret garden vanishes before your eyes, uh, Oka, it is replaced piece by piece, sort of like zapping in like a foggy image coming to the surface, right, of a pond, the Jadidan Scrublands. All around you, you sort of see this kind of like low, hardy desert brush. Uh, These really like parched and thick and strong tangled grasses uh, and this kind of like cracked expanse, kind of like crimson and gray and kind of brown and yellow ochre uh, expanse of hillocks, like low rolling hillocks, a couple of craters here and there, uh, dappled now, I think, with a thin uh, frosting of winter snow. And in front of you, I think as you zap like into existence on top of like a raised dais, uh, maybe 300 feet away, uh, you see the Temple of Thismoon. It is a massive complex, all sprawling brick and crumbled plaster, a kind of like it used to be a magnificent fortress that was maybe like several miles large uh, that's gone to seed. Uh, but in contrast to the crumbling architecture, you see several well-tended kind of bright green trees standing in stark contrast to the kind of parched desert environment around it um, with these like pops giving splotches of color right to this otherwise brown and gray palette around you. Uh, 
Uh, and you can also sort of see like little dots like in, in the distance, like monks, uh, ascetics, like holy people, like tending to the trees, right? Groundskeepers of the temples who might not be blood hunters themselves because this is a famous blood hunter temple, maybe the only one of its kind in the Republic. But people who uh, study arts adjacent to blood hunting and are religious and venerate Udabathi and help upkeep religious ornaments and art buildings all across the scrublands. Uh, in particular, Oka, you would notice three central towers sort of rising up, like piercing the horizon 300 feet in front of you. They're kind of tiered, almost like step pyramids, not quite as broad at the base, like ziggurats, uh, more like beehives in terms of like the proportion of, of the steps. Uh, step pyramids kind of comprise of this really elaborate masonry, uh, and each step pyramid is eight stories tall, uh, a piece with like eight steps. Uh, and each of these three towers is very clearly dedicated to a different head of Yudabathi. Uh, you see the black stonework on one for Sarakshra, the intricate golden tile on another for Thristi, and this like crimson red brick for Vinash on the third one. And you see these like tiny little like miniature like temples and shrines, places of offering uh, scattered throughout this complex. And you would know, Ravi has told you many times that there are 333 smaller temples uh, scattered throughout this complex, 111 for each head of Yudabathi. Dr. Lusa looks around and off, kind of offhandedly says, I've always wanted to visit uh, Temple of Thismoon, actually. It's of great architectural and cultural importance. Um, Why don't you go look around? I think Mercy and I can take it from here. Understood. Uh, we can meet back here in however long it takes you. I'll be sure to be, be back here early so you don't miss your teleportation guide, which is me. I wouldn't think of it. All right. Uh, I've heard that actually um, blood hunters taking pilgrimage here travel in a very particular direction from west to east. So I'm going to retrace their steps and there's the front gates over there. Well, I I'm sure you know where you're going. Um, uh, my condolences, Oka, and I hope her memory is a blessing to you and to you, Mercy. Uh, thanks, Hitsagaton. Can I call you Hitsagaton? Sagu? Um, no. Okay, uh, yeah, thanks, Doctor. Oh, yeah, uh, Oka and I have got Ravi's body from here. Very well, then. Um, that is a cute nickname, though. Uh, and Oka, I think, gets off of the dais and starts to walk forward. So you walk toward, like, the main entrance, and Dr. Alusa walks toward, uh, what you know is a false door, sort of, to the west. Uh, Dr. Alusa's, like, very excitedly heading over to, to, that, to that part of, of the temple. Um, and you and Mercy stride up this path that just sort of like sinks its way up into existence to greet you. Uh, not magically, uh, but through masonry and stonework. Uh, there isn't a road anywhere within like five kilometers of this place, uh, except for this one path uh, leading up from the dais 300 feet away. It's sort of like lined by brick uh, with a couple of statues here and there of like famous blood hunters, I think, in the past. And I think Mercy's the one maybe carrying Ravi. And Oka, have you wrapped Ravi's body in a shroud yet? I think she's unshrouded because Oka wants her to be able to see the sky and the stars when they bring them back. That's very beautiful. Yeah. Uh, unshrouded, the two of you walk up until you reach the complex proper. Uh, and there's this like big archway 
right? Like with these beautiful, like stone, like hand carved pillars, right? Like routing them with these messages and sigils, like wrapping around masonry. Walk past these pillars, this massive vaulted archway and into like, I think the beating heart of the complex, uh, where in the center of it, I think maybe flocked by like multiple attendants and like holy folk, uh, the two of you see a dried up fountain. Uh, sort of like nestled uh, within the well-kept shrubbery amidst this crumbled ruin. And a massive statue sort of sits in the cradle of the basin of this fountain, uh, which is the likeness of a Goliath woman with four arms. Uh, Two of these arms are cupped in front of like her chest, almost like in reverent prayer, like her head is down. And the other two arms are like sort of clasped above her head, also in prayer. And this dry fountain, there's not a speck of water in them. And actually as the snow flecks down, like some snow is like rhyming on the statue. uh, This fountain sits in the middle of these three towers, right? Uh, And the earth around the statue, I think um, looks quite soft. And there's like a couple of flowers blooming. What do you do? I think Oka just starts working. They instruct Mercy to bring Ravi's body to the fountain and instruct her to lay Ravi's head in the hands of this statue that are like down um, so that this this statue's like hands are cradling her head. And then they step back and they kind of look at Mercy. Um, This is the part that we stay for after this. When, when her body drains of blood, then, then the, you know, the gardeners will bury her. And but, but this is where we, this is where we say goodbye. Mercy nods, like looking at Ravi's body, which looks like oddly serene. I think lying there, almost like she's just sort of taking a nap, right? Like her head cradled in the palms of the statue. Okay. Mercy steps forward. Right, like the snow sort of filtering down gently in front of her face. Ravi, you were and you still are my best, my best friend. Um, <clears throat> sorry, frog in my throat. Uh, this air is really cold. Um, when you found me, I didn't know. I didn't know what you were saying to me because I didn't understand the language you were speaking because I'd been raised by monsters. And you taught me how to be a person. Uh, but you also you also taught me that being a monster isn't such a bad thing to be. And I know we've had our differences. Gods, we've had a lot of differences uh, in our lives, right? I mean... Starting from when I would just steal your food and then lie about it. <laughs> Silly shit like that to really big shit. Like when we told each other that we loved each other and we did, but it just it just didn't work out like that because because we we don't we don't make a we don't make good girlfriends, Ravi. <laughs> we never have. We're too we're too big. Not enough room for two divas in a relationship. Uh, but you've always been my best friend. You've always called me on my shit, even when I didn't want you to, when I told you to shut up, you always did. You you were never dishonest to me, Ravi, and there's not a lot of honest people anymore here. Um, I miss you already. 
Uh, I, I don't know if I'm ever going to st stop missing you. Um, <clears throat> God, fuck. Uh, Oka, can you... M Mercy, Mercy, like, st steps back, uh, like, her voice cracking, and she just sort of, like, uh, pinches the bridge of her nose for a second, uh, and you see, like, a sob sort of rack her shoulders. She, like, holds up a hand, you know, even though she asked you to step, and she holds up a hand for you not to say anything, and then a couple minutes pass, and then she like, lowers her hand, opens her eyes, which are, like, blurred with tears, looks at Ravi's body. I love you, Ravi. I'm sorry I never said it enough. I know your soul is wrapped around a chisel right now. But when we save the world, Ravi, when we bring back the stars, when we kill the fucking stranger, then when Endake is safe again, I'm gonna pray to you. And I hope you'll hear me. And I hope that in the after, you'll get to look at us and laugh at how stupid we're being. And, um, one day, one day I'll see you again. But until then, kick some ghost ass in the afterlife, will you? This one's for you. And it's, it's, it's really, it's really good wine, Ravi. So I hope you know how much this means to me. And uh, she reaches into her tunic, takes out a flask, and pours it out for Ravi. Traditionally, it's supposed to be blood, Mercy. But I, well, it's red. I, should I, like, it's cut my palm or something? No, it, it, it's, 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 that was nice. Okay, your turn. Anoka steps forward. And I think they take out Dream Hunter first. And they cut their palm. And they put just one, like, handprint on the blade. And they touch it against the fountain as they speak. And they just kind of watch the blade move. You, Ravi, mentor of pain and grief, hard words bone sunder and even your soul blooms red and violent you told me once that blood hunters don't get vigils and I stayed up all night to prove you wrong and you told me once that I spend too much time counting the teeth of demons and I didn't understand you because isn't it better to know how your enemy bites? You tried to teach me that focus is a double-edged sword that I could fight but what was the use if I had nothing worth fighting for? Lonely is a blade too. I, I know I wasn't your only student but there were times when you were the only person in the world watching out for me. You told me my sword forms were shit. You told me my attitude was shit, even though you know what I've been through, you fucking asshole, and... You made it better. You made me better. 
And when you sent me off with the hounds, you... You knew that I could be better. And I took this god for you, Ravi. I carry this hungry, gnawing god for you. For a year. And I would bear it for my lifetime if I thought it would keep you alive. You told me love is either a shrine or a scar. You never said it could be both. I'll make it both. You taught me to weave pain into power. You just never said what it would cost. I'll make the world right for you, Ravi. I promise. And with that, I think Oka steps forward and, like it's a prayer, pushes Dream Hunter through her heart. As you do, uh, this blood sort of seeps through Ravi's body and spills into the fountain, like beyond the statues, like cupped hands, right, into the dry basin. And as it does, it's almost like the fountain drinks it thirstily, right? Like the blood sort of seeps through the pores right and like trickles down like across the masonry across the stone and you sort of see like the closed eyes of the statue begin to bleed tears like red tears sort of seep out from the corners of the eyes like run down the cheeks and the chin down the throat and like into the cupped hands sort of like uh bathing ravi's hair in this baptism of blood to ferry her into the after whenever that happens. And then I think Oka watches for a little while and starts to walk away. And they walk to the end of the temple and then even like past the low walls, kind of like tucked into the ruins and the rubbles until they find this old, decrepit animal den. And they look at it and I think there's this like flash of a memory of them still in their like royal clothes having just been exiled their hair like cut short still covered in their own blood stumbling like down into it and i think oka just kind of stares at it and sees the like memory of ravi coming pulling them out and i think oka gets on their hands and knees and crawls into the animal den and they finally cry themselves to sleep Oka you cry yourself to sleep and your body welcomes the rest not hard for you to slip into a dreamless state it's the morning it's daytime prophecy of the stranger war that horrible crimson nightmare only seems to come at night but your dreamless state the grief wrapping around your heart so tight it's painful and you hear a voice I think cutting through your dream Paragon Paragon Hey, 
You. Open your eyes. Oka opens their eyes. You're still dreaming, Oka, when you open your eyes. Cradled up against this animal den. But you're not alone in this hole anymore. There's someone sitting across from you. Uh, so big that she is essentially encroaching on your space. Uh, a Goliath woman with four arms. The spitting image of the statue that you laid Ravi's body down on. When she looks up at you, you see that one eye is brown, and the other eye has three colors swirling through it. Red, gold, and black. My full name is Bazulathismun. You seem sad. You've lost someone. I'd like to think I see her body now, cupped in my hands, at my fountain. That's where she's supposed to go. It is a dedicated student of my arts, her soul wrapped around that chisel, wrapped around your neck. I didn't know you were... Uh... And Oka, like, touches the reflection of their own eye. A lot of things get lost in history. I am, was, will be, the paragon of Udabathi. I am, was, will be, the first blood hunter. Sunder. And she gestures toward her forehead, which was empty. Uh, but then three hard light constructs of those, like that same like triple tiered crown that appeared on old mama lightning's head, like appears on Bazul's forehead. See a black spike, uh, a gold spike and a red spike. Uh, they appear and dig like into her forehead and she immediately begins to bleed, right? Like down the front of her face. My gift from Yudabathi lets me turn my pain into rage, into power. A way of fighting, a way of protecting, a way of destroying and creating that I've passed down now for many generations. Why... why Sen? Why not Yudabathi? I'm... he's stuck. We work too well together, I can't get him out. Bazul looks at you and says, Vinash has always been the most opinionated of the three aspects of my god. She served him. I can feel it, thrumming around her body, sparking off of what remains of her soul. She housed him, didn't she? At least for a time. I can smell his lightning on her. And you house him now. I am Bazuo. Perhaps an echo of her, perhaps a fragment, but I am still her in some way. Young blood hunter, I ask you, what would your mentor say to you now? Does it serve you still to hold on to him? Or has your time together passed? And Oka just looks down because they know the answer, and they hold the chisel with Ravi's soul wrapped around it. I think until they wake up. Thank you for championing the arts I created, young blood hunter. You know, I think the gods and us old paragons feel closest to you at these holy places. Holy spaces, holy times. 
And I think like her voice like continues to drift like farther and farther away from you until Oka, you wake up. When your eyes like blearily open again, I think I think you've slept longer than perhaps anticipated a little bit. Uh, you feel like the hard uh, sh- shaft of the chisel, right, that you've been gripping onto, right, and maybe like you start to pull yourself up, and you notice in the den across from you. Just like the slightest like indentation in the dust. Almost as though someone was there that sat across from you and kept vigil over you while you cried. And you feel maybe the warmth of Bazul's voice and the warmth of Ravi's memory as well sweep up with a breeze like from that indentation toward you, almost like wrapping you up in a hug. Podcast editing for this episode is by C. Thomas of Oka Hien fame. Toss them a follow on Twitter at PieSharpArt. Transplaner RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter and ExplainTrade.com, a negotiation skills training consultancy, because you can't ask to roll persuasion in real life. Check out ExplainTrade.com. Please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. This helps so much with getting new listeners to find us. New podcast episodes drop every Tuesday. If you can't wait that long, tune into our live stream Saturdays at 7 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Twitch at TransplanarRPG. Also, toss us a follow on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and YouTube at TransplanarRPG. We also have a Patreon. Patrons get early access to episodes, character sheets, high-res art, and much, much more. And finally, a very very special thank you to our Patreon paragons. Azura, Brooke Bright, Charles, Chiacres, Cora Eckert, Emma, Hat, Conding, Lex Slater, Purple Mouse, Scruffisus, and Target.